Hi there, this is Eileen Mcdar, author of Burnout to Breakthrough, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Eileen McDar. Since 1980, Eileen has helped organizations and individuals transform the life of their business and the business of their life through conversations that matter and connections, I'm sorry, and connections that count. She's become known as a master facilitator, an award-winning author, and an internationally recognized keynoter and executive coach. Eileen lives in Dana Point, California, is here to talk about her book, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's such a delight to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I would have to say it is my mother. And let me give you just a thumbnail of mom and why. Mom was one of three women in med school in the 30s. She always pushed the envelope to try something different for what called her. Talk about quest for the best. She also wanted to learn how to fly a plane. So she bought a plane with three guys. And then when World War II started, they needed more pilots to fly domestically. A call went out because they realized, thanks to Jacqueline Cochran and Colonel Hap Arnold, that women could take the place of men who were called to fly combat missions in the European and Pacific theaters. Mom responded to that call. She was one of 1,074 women who paid their own way to converge on an air base in Sweetwater, Texas, and do the military flying during World War II. She was a WASP, a woman's Air Force service pilot. 32 of them died in the course of duty, but because Congress had not yet a officially recognized them. There were no benefits. And at least in one case, they had to pass the hat to send the body home to the parents. It's an incredible story, Bill. Collectively, they flew 60 million air miles of domestic wartime. They were disbanded shortly before the war was over. So what did mom do? She went to Italy for the remainder of the war with the Red Cross. So mom was always saying, how can I help? How can I serve? And how do I use my gifts? So I would say mom was my big first influencer. What an what a powerful and impactful woman your mom is. Tell me, Eileen, when you were early in your career, do you remember an example of your mom having an influence in some decision that you made or an interaction? That's an interesting question. Mom was always very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Interesting. I don't know if this was your career direction, but she's the one who identified early on that the gentleman that I went on to marry in my first life, she said, I don't think this is a good decision. Why, mom? Because he doesn't call you by your real name. He called me baby. And she said, I think it's because he sees you like that. And of course, when you're in your late teens, your early 20s, you don't want to believe any of that. Mom was right. Mom could see things that I couldn't. Your book talks about an unseen phenomena, burnout, that is incredibly costly to businesses and people's personal lives. Describe what led you to engage in this study and writing about burnout when we talk about from burnout. Well, early on in my career, when I went after I obviously got divorced, moved out to California, I worked for two 
organizations. One was a healthcare management company. The other one was a PR firm. And Bill, I burned out. I despised what I was doing. I was working hard. I wasn't appreciated. And it didn't fill my heart. And I thought, I can't do this. And I, I quit. And my first book, which was written in 1984, was called Work for a Living and Still Be Free to Live. And people would say, how are you doing that? I said, I just, you do what you have to do. And I just could not do that any longer. So here we are. Now we're in 2021. This book now, Burnout to Breakthrough, in some ways is a follow-on to that book that I wrote so long ago. And there have been like seven books in between. So what, what prompted me to begin to look at this whole notion of burnout, and specifically that the subhead, Building Resilience, is when I watched us as a nation in 2011. And when 9-11 hit, when 9-11 hit, I thought, why? how are we getting through this? So I began to study resilience. And the people who were resilient did not experience burnout. In fact, the term burnout came back in the 19, in 1970s with Herbert Freudenberger, who defined it in this exhaustion. And over time, and specifically, I would say in the last five years, every time I was invited to come address an organization or an association, and it was about resilience, it was in the context of burnout. And then finally, in May of 2019, the World Health Organization declared burnout as an occupational hazard globally. And when I heard that, I said, that's it. I just, I, ha- I have to go explore more. I have to not just enough to talk about resilience. I need to do it in the context of burnout. And that's really what led to this book. It is something that affects every organization. It's something that is extremely costly in terms of the number of people in just the United States alone who experience this is vast. You say in the book that the cost of burnout and stress in just North American companies is somewhere between 120 and $300 billion annually. And that one U.S study found that work stress contributed to 120 deaths a year. This is something that affects our health and as well as our ability to work together in teams. It's not just being absent from the workplace or feeling a little bit down. This is a strong indicator that there's something wrong and something that is calling for change. What do you see as how is work burnout a wake up call in your your perspective? For one thing, I think once the World Health Organization threw down the flag and said recognized it, that was a starter. But the other thing is it's really prompted by COVID nineteen and the lockdown that we've experienced. What I hear from customers, from colleagues, from clients is this incredible exhaustion. And that's what burnout is. It's exhaustion. It can show up in many ways, not just that I need to go to bed, but that the work that intrigued me at one point in time doesn't. I've lost my sense of humor. I I don't reach out to people and I'm working harder doing less. So there's a whole productivity demand that while I'm working, I'm going through the motions and it doesn't mean anything. To me, getting a handle on what is it that we are doing? We meaning me, the individual, because there's an individual responsibility, but also what is it? What is it that I as a manager, as a business owner, what are the things that unconsciously I can be doing that lights this fire that's Instead of being flamed up with enthusiasm, I am burned out with exhaustion. What are some of those telltale signs and behaviors that you've identified? Okay, the, f- the first one would be the self-report. And the self-report was, how would you describe your life right now? How is it? How are you doing? Not just how are you, but t- tell me what's going on. And 
it could be not only as I'm sitting here in my home office trying to work, but oh my gosh, I'm sharing the kitchen table with my best beloved. And I got three kids running over here and I've got a dog that needs to be walked. And I have an aging parent that I'm taking care of. So I, there's no break. There's no break in this. Whereas when you and I would quote, go to work, there's even the break of traveling. I get in a car, I think there's a space. I mean, sometimes the, the calmest place where you've ever been is in your car, listening to great music as you're driving. We, we have no breaks. So I think first is the self-report in that as an owner, as a manager, I really want to know. I just clarify. I think that people listening, I want to make it really clear that as you're talking about driving in a car with no breaks, you're talking about the actual time between activities, not driving a car without a braking system. Oh, wow. Very good. Very good. I'm going to give you an interesting line. You're absolutely right. That sometimes the place that gave us a sense of relief was to go into the office. And you know what? That was part of the routine that had evolved just because that's how we've always done it. We've always gone into an office to do work. And I think that those opportunities for breaks still exist. We just have to be proactive in saying that this is something that's needed in my day. I have many friends who will take walks. Walking my dog in the morning and walking him in the afternoon, those are ways that I decompress from my work and make the transition into hanging out at home. But we've got to make those deliberate and conscious rather than just by default, which is what happened pre-pandemic. Absolutely. The choices that we make to create our B-R-E-K versus B-R-A-K-E, how to create those breaks. But you ask a question about how would I recognize this? If I was the manager, I was the owner of a business. First off, you got to ask. But secondly, before you ask yourself, how am I doing? Because I think that when a manager becomes transparent and honest and says, you know what? I'm not doing very well with this stuff. And I want to understand how you all are faring. And some of the things that different organizations have done is literally to talk about what's the current reality. So forget how many reports have to be filed or how many X boxes have to be sold. Let's just talk about our lot because what we're seeing now is that we are all together. And it's that candid conversation, that courageous conversation. So it also says as managers and owners, am I willing to allow my employees to speak their truth? And one of the questions I would ask is, and I really need you guys to tell me honestly, what is the workload that I've given you? And is it reasonable? Have I given you the tools that you need to work with this? What are some, here's a good one for you, Bill. What is it that we need to practice gross? Gross stands for get rid of stupid stuff. There's a lot of stupid stuff that goes on in our organizations and our businesses. I like the acronym growth where you get rid of stupid stuff. And that's actually something you can do as a, a monthly activity and just jettison different policies, different practices, even meetings that really no longer serve its purpose. What are some of the examples you've seen in your research? One of the things to get rid of that doesn't add value, frankly, and you and I spoke about this earlier, is email. How many people are you sending email to? The truth of the matter is they could care less whether they ever got it. Are you just trying to do it because you want them to know how busy you are? Stop that. Because what that does, every time you and I get a piece of email, our brain tries to answer. And now in the lockdown, if we're still in this apart, now that's a relationship. Okay, I better answer that. Better take care of that. And our brains are not made to do this, Bill. So every time we are pulled away, the research says it can be anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes to get back on track with what we were doing before that email got sent. So I have a dear colleague, Bill Jensen, who has a, a wonderful thing that he says, you ask yourself three questions. Know, K-N-O-W, feel, and do. Why do I need to know this? Why does why do you, Bill, need to know this? How do you feel about it? Why is it important to you? And what do you want me to do with this piece of information? If there's nothing to do with 
it. If the truth of the matter is you're not even going to get involved in this for another three months, stop it. Stop it. Stop sending the email. Stop CCing everyone because you are wearing your people out. I think that the way that we describe our problems and the stressors that are impinging upon our ability to do things makes a huge difference. And many people, even today, still talk about the need for balance. And I think you wrote very clearly, eloquently, and powerfully about the myth of balance in our lives. Can you share your perspective on how balance is really a myth? Thank you. And you and I, fortunately, are getting to look at each other and your listeners are going to have to visualize this. But if I were to ask you, Bill, to hold up your hand to show me how balance looks like, there you go. Your hands are together. They are replicating scales, like the scales of justice. And so balance implies equality. Life is not equal. It's never been equal. And the word balance is the wrong word. I like to think of it as instead of how am I balancing my life is how am I sailing in life. And let me tell you why I choose sailing. If you've ever been in a little sailboat, you know that in order a one person sailboat, we call them cat boats. So in order to sail that little boat, I've got one hand over on the tiller. I got another hand over on the sheet where the sail is. And if it's a great, if, if it's a great head of wind that I've got, my boat starts to tilt over just a little bit. So I don't fall out. I'll hook my toes under the gunnel, which is another, just a piece of wood that runs around the side of the sailboat. So theoretically from any vantage point, because I'm tilted over, I look like I'm out of balance. What allows me to move forward is I know where I'm consciously connected to the important parts of my boat. Instead of saying balance is how am I connected at this point in time with the most important parts of my life. So when the wind shifts in my little boat, Bill, what do I have? You've got to counteract it so that the wind is filling your sail. That's right. So I have to alter, don't I? I have to change that boat. I have to alter things. So the wind comes up in our life all the time. So my notion is... And and really what you're saying is that we don't control the wind either. We don't. In fact, there's a wonderful sailing sailing metaphor. I can't control the wind, but I can adjust the sails. So when the wind comes up, how is it that I'm going to adjust? And what's important for me in my life, in my the boat that I call my life, what's important for me right now? So for example, Bill, let's say, God forbid that you were fighting some serious illness. Your attention is not going to be totally focused on creating this podcast. It's going to be one of the things that you look forward to doing because it gets your mind off of the illness, but you're going to be spending a lot of time, whatever you have to do with the illness. If you had a newborn baby, that's going to require a lot of different attention than if you had a teenager. You want them to be a newborn baby because that was easy. So the notion then is how do I live my life consciously. I think, and I'll put myself in this category, a lot of what we do, Bill, we get into a knee-jerk reaction and we don't live consciously. We do a lot of things in our life that are because it's rote, because it's the way we've always done it and it no longer serves us. I think it's important to call out for people listening that it's not necessarily binary between whether you're being reactive or proactive. But I think there are a lot of things that are just by default or automatic that are in our lives that we that really call for us to re-examine freshly so that we could see if they're appropriate and if they're helping us advance towards our most cherished goals and objectives and priorities that are relevant today rather than when we first established them. And it calls for that fresh thinking and it's not easy to do. It requires conscious efforts to say, I really want to go this direction, not just whatever way the wind's blowing. It wouldn't be fun for you to be in the water and just let the wind take you wherever the wind wanted to take you. No, no, that's, that's true. We have a direction and so 
sometimes that direction changes. I mean, and at one point in time, you told me you were a math teacher, right? When did you, what did you do after becoming, after you decided not to be a math teacher anymore? I went from teaching math to teaching computers at a university. Okay. So there was an advancement because it's one thing to teach math. Now we're, now we've got another piece of engineering, which you didn't have with math, but you do with computer science. So now you're learning how to manipulate all of the zeros and ones and programming and everything else, which is very different than just plain math in a high school. And why did you go, why did you go to teach? Let's back up. I was teaching in a boarding school and I absolutely loved being able to teach and coach students in tennis and run a dorm. And then I got married and I thought my wife would equally love to be in a dorm as I coached tennis and taught math. And she said, wow, this was fun. What are we going to do next year? And I thought that she was referring to what courses I was going to teach or how I was going to improve the tennis teams. But there was a look on her face that I noted in my first few months of, of being married that told me that was not the direction of the conversation that she had just opened. Okay. So then I went from there to working as an administrator at Drexel University. And there I was responsible for working with college students and working with administrators and solving technical challenges. Okay. And now look what you do. Several companies and have teams that work on things from podcasts to helping people with their marketing and leaders with their, their management teams. See, and it's you are helping people quest for their best, which is really interesting. Even the title of your show is interesting, Bill, because quest doesn't say, aha, I got it. Quest is a journey and you go on a quest. And if you think of all of the stories of questing, there's always, there's a villain, there's a downside, then there's a eureka here, I found it, and you're transformed in the quest. So what I hear you saying is that as you followed your career, that you were always helping, whether it was students or an organization, how do I help you with what I know, quest for what is your best, whether it's organizationally or individually? That's very true. And what I was just going to say, by you doing that, I would suspect that as long as you have that meaning, then you are probably not a candidate for burnout. That's very interesting. I think that that goes back to one of your five burnout triggers, where you say in the book that people might be burned out based on their personal history or because they don't know how to manage their technology or they have friends on social media who aren't really friends, they're just followers and they don't really have that personal connection. They have, they're being called and demanded to serve multiple roles that they didn't anticipate as caregivers. And then it's the fifth one that I want to talk with you about that also runs through the example and your analysis of my career that way. And that's the lack of meaning or clear purpose in a person's life, where if you don't have that really does signal that you have a, a proclivity and inclination towards burnout if you're just running on a treadmill and you don't know why you're doing it or where it leads or how it's going to ultimately bring you that satisfaction that you create. Beautifully stated. And the the word that you used in this last sentence was the word why. If you lose your why, you lose your way. And so one of the things I help individuals and can help teams too is first, what's the why individually? How does that show up? And OPS, what do you do? So for example, you could say I'm a podcaster. That's not. Your why is in the title of that. My role in life is to contribute by helping people vote that's how I do it through the podcast. And then, oh, P.S., what I do, I have in this case, what I know of you, you are, you have a podcast. That's what I do. But the why and the how created the what. And so you're absolutely right. If, if it, it's not meaningful 
to you, which is what happened to me in my career when I moved to California, was that I could write press I'm a good, strong writer. I can write marketing copy. I can write PR press releases, but I don't care to do that. It doesn't serve me. And I think, Bill, one of the things that we see now, probably even more so than ever, is how short life is. And when it's this short, am I doing what fills my heart? In fact, the younger generation, the millennial and below, they've watched grownups, their adults, beat their head against a wall. I say, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to work the way you did mom or dad, grandmother or grandfather. I'm not going to do that. I want to do something that is meaningful. All four of my grandchildren now, and the third one will graduate from college, the fourth one in two years. All of their them are involved in some form of making the world better. They are their choice. And that's something that they had to choose and define for themselves, I'm sure, rather than what their parents or grandparents suggested. And it just, it, it strikes me that it's not that I had any influence on them. I mean, one of them, her degree is, her degree is in environmental science with an emphasis on sustainability. The other one has got her master's in public administration with emphasis on nonprofits. The third one, her degree is going to be in sociology, but her work has been with homeless populations. As people are thinking about this and reflecting on supporting the next generation and supporting the people who are reporting to them at work, maybe they have have an influx of new employees that are part of the company. There's an upside to the pandemic that many people haven't really considered. Maybe you've wandered into it, but there's a really deliberate opportunity to use the pandemic as a chance to re-examine things, re-examine how you've been working, re-examine how you've been serving your constituents and your uh, stakeholders. And think about things even in very mundane terms about, do these meetings make sense? How do we redefine every aspect of our work? And in particular, you talk about the phrase intelligent optimism, being able to look at things. And then how would you define the the way that you apply intelligent optimism? And how can we use intelligent optimism to examine and redefine some of the ways that uh, the pandemic has given us a chance to do. Intelligent optimism to me, Bill, is reframing. So if you think about if you were going to, you've seen pictures where somebody's looking at a picture and they put their two thumbs together and they make basically what looks like a square or a rectangle and what would it look like over here? Reframing is where you take what at face value looks in many ways, it looks terrible or it's ugly. How could I look at that differently? What are, and multiple ways to look at that so that I could see what it is what is possible versus what is impossible. And the one example, and I think it was very powerful to me, is to think about what, again, what looks horrible. In the 1850s, there was this massive storm that swept across England, raging storm. Four ships went down, all hands were lost. Another ship was bound for Ireland. They managed to save some of those people, but the ship eventually went down. Well, at the end of this horrible storm, the residents of Orkney, which is a small island off the coast of Scotland, they finally were able to go out. And this point of land is called Scarabri. And what they discovered was the combination of the wind the waves, the rain had taken the top layer, a big top layer, and totally got rid of it, tore it away. And with the villagers of Orkney looked down, here what had been buried 
all along. It's like the top of a shoebox and you look into a little village. Exactly. That's exactly it. And years later, when they finally did some archaeology on it, those houses, built were older, are older than Stonehenge or the Great Pyramid. But nobody knew they were there. So when I say intelligent optimism, I think we have been given an opportunity of seeing what has been ripped away. And now that it's ripped away, how can I look at, oh my gosh, look, we've been piling all this crap on top. Now, how can I look at this new and say, what's possible? What's possible? Because we hide stuff. There's so many things that organizations do. Somebody says, why do, Why are you doing that report? This one guy spent three full days doing this massive report. Huge thing. And then finally, somebody asked the question, who reads it? Nobody read it. But by gosh, he was going to do it because he'd done it that way for months and months. Exactly. So there are many things. So we have as difficult right now for us in the state where we look at some things that we'd rather we didn't look at, whether it's social justice, whether it's racial equality. We got to look at this differently. This is an opportunity, an incredible opportunity to re not oh, it's not reinvent because I don't want the word re, which means to do over again, to really come up with something that is new, which is why when people talk about the new normal, it ain't going to be normal, Bill. There's no normal about it. It's absolutely brand new. And we get to figure out how would I craft this, beginning with just small things. It's exciting when you think about how it's an opportunity to really express your creativity and leave your mark in a person's life or in an organization. I am choosing to learn all manner of technology that I never thought I'd have to learn. To do these virtual presentations, to learn equipment. This is not in my wheelhouse. It is now. It wasn't a year ago, but it is now. It is. And what an opportunity that is. I'm meeting people that I never thought I would see because I run early in the morning. And even though we're far away from each other, I wave at the same people. Now I know their names. I would never have asked their name. I know the names of their dogs. Always have at least six foot inches or six foot leashes. So now I get to pay pet dogs. I never stopped a pet dog. Look at the things that I have added into my life because of that. It's very true. And still, there are people who will have objections and will try to maintain some sense of control over the status quo. And you came up with a phrase that I really liked in the book of red ant thinking. And some people are just oriented towards looking for the red ants. Can you explain how that works and what that means? Thank you. It's being negative. Wait a second. How do red ants connect with being negative? I have a relative in my in my life. We'll call her Mildred. Mildred is one of the most negative people you've ever met. And I'm sure all of us have somebody like that. If you looked outside and the sun was shining, she'd go, oh, no, I'm going to have to wear sunglasses. It's raining. Oh, no, I'm going to have to wear a raincoat. I don't care what it is. Whatever was going on, there was a negative cast to this. And we took Mildred with us up to see the wonderful fall colors in New England. And as we're going along these back roads, my sister said, wait, stop the car. I want to get out. I want to take a picture of post wonderful leaves and that steeple and that great weather vane. Susan hopped out of the car and in a heartbeat, Mildred says, oh, I hope she just stayed in red and I mean, How do you even think of that. So that became my phrase for saying no red ant thinking. Stop looking for the negative. And so that red stuff is, is it gets us. It really does. We see it a lot in healthcare. And certainly there are many difficult challenges. But if all I do is look for red ants, I will burn out. I'll tell you, the ants is an interesting word in that it came up with your example from actual relative that you knew. In the personal development world, people talk about stopping ants because 
because ANSWER uses an acronym for automatic negative thoughts. Have you ever heard that? But it was, I, I came up with my ants before I heard of that other ant. There we go. But it was so, it was so dramatic, Bill, that all of a sudden in this beautiful countryside, she's looking for red ants. She came out to visit and my sister is driving her up. She lives in Hollywood Hills. So Susan is driving her up these wonderful windy roads. And my Mildred said, oh, this is very dangerous. I'm sure there's lots of accidents. Gee, Mildred, I've lived here for God, 15 years. I haven't seen an accident yet. Mildred's response, we're not home yet. I think that many times people may do this in business situations because they want to show people that they're thinking of situations, scenarios, potential breakdowns, and that they're trying to anticipate them. But many times if, if you find yourself in a situation with a person like, that's appropriate to think about at a certain point in planning. But if it's the constant refrain, if it's the automatic response, it becomes incredibly draining, incredibly demoralizing to have someone always pointing out problems, breakdowns, issues, where it could go wrong, rather than allowing that positive energy and momentum to develop. You're so right. Scenario planning is smart. It's being strategic. It's saying, what potentially is the downside? If that downside happens, we have a plan, but we put that aside. So it's like you're prepared in case. And unfortunately, before COVID hit, there was a plan for how would I handle a pandemic? And so that was scenario planning. But then people got rid of it. So when it did hit, you didn't have the plan. So there's nothing wrong with scenario planning. But if that's all you do is find everything that's wrong, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. You're right. You drain people. You drain. Eileen, instead of draining, we're going to energize people. Are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh, let's go, Joe. Let's do it. So at the beginning of the interview, we talked about a person who influenced and inspired you. And you talked about your mother who had so many amazing life experiences and really was a trailblazer in her own right. When you were a teenager, Eileen, what's a song that you loved? I always loved the Beach Boys. I lived at the beach. Little do scoop. I don't know what to do. But anyway, I always loved the Beach Boys and anything that the Beatles did. Was- so in your mission to help people understand and avoid burnout and actually go not to a place of balance, not to a place of serenity, but to breakthrough, what's the key message that people need to understand so that they're actually seeking the right level? level, the right objective. First off, it's going to be different for everybody. So I can't look at my next door neighbor. I can't look at the person who I used to see on a regular basis at an office. I really think it is the idea of building resilience. And notice I said building, I-N-G. It's an ongoing process. And some days are better at it than others. Life is going to throw us rain, wind. I need to adjust. So that to me, building resilience is about constantly working on a life skill. And by working on that life skill, I have to say, what is it that's called now? Where is, what's the direction I want my boat to go? Because we're all those directions. How do I need to change course? Which is when we talked about your career, Bill, it's how you decided you wanted to change course, what you wanted to do, what did you want to add to it? And in all of that, I'm sure there were disappointments. There was times in which you go, oh my goodness gracious, how am I going to do that now? You figured it out. You figured it out. So it's becoming captain of your own ship. Eileen, what's a tool or system you use to help you stay on track and productive? I am very much a list maker and I have, I write things down. I don't depend on electronic whatever's to beep and tell me to do this. So I have, to me, I work, I have goals set intellectually, emotionally, physical, spiritual, 
And those, each one of those has a goal to it. So that intellectually, that has to do with my work. And what is it that I want to achieve? In this case, it was the book. And now it's how to help more and more people both use the book as well as use me. Emotionally has to do with who are the people I need to connect with. Physical has to do with I have goals that I set related to my physical well-being. So I run every day and we look at diet. So that kind of keeps me on track. And I actually put it in a day timer. And I write down, if you saw, if you look down at my day timer right now, you would see one of the things that you would see were little stickers like kids get. And I get, I give myself stickers when I achieve something and they're seasonal. So right now, and they got to be tiny because there's a lot of stuff in here. But whenever I get to exercise, I write down what did I do? Intellectually is also what are the books I've read. So at the end of a month, I, I can tell you what I did in that month. And so I have a journal that I write in only at the end of each month. And it says, who did I connect with? How did I physically, spiritually, I meditate. So I keep a track of that. Because what happens, Bill, at the end of the year, if I don't do this, and I'm sure not the only one, you say, where'd the year go? How did that happen? But I actually can go back month by month and say, oh my gosh, I forgot I did that. No wonder I'm tired. No wonder I'm excited. No wonder I'm scared. No, I can look at that. So that's been the process for me. And the details matter so much. I'm so glad that you, you called that out. Eileen, if you were to complete the sentence, how would you fill it in? I know I'm being successful when... When I can laugh, I can smile, and I see someone responding to me. If it's on Zoom with light in their eyes, that we connected and somehow we made a difference with each other. That's how I know. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I don't drink hard liquor, literally. I get four ounces, four ounces of wine. So actually that that was a, a physical thing, I thought, because it's really easy when you're, you feel sorry for yourself, let's go have a vodka tonic or whatever. And I think the belief, and I will admit, I don't think I'm perfect with this, but it's one of the things I'm trying to eliminate. And I say to myself now, I am enough. I have enough. It's really easy to feel financially or you look that you haven't done enough. And that's one that I am working on constantly building to believe I am enough. I have enough. Well, Eileen, you have shared more than enough tips and ideas, techniques and stories that have enriched people by listening to our conversation today. I want to thank you so much for talking about your mother and all the groundbreaking accomplishments that she's made in her life that have inspired and uplifted you. You've now shared them with our audience. You talked about ways to identify burnout that just are exhausting. It's that sense of being exhausted, of working harder and accomplishing less when um, lacking humor in being able to see the lighter side of things and just being really drained through daily acts of living. It's important to self-report. And we talked about how it's crucial to be able to describe how life is for you now and then to ask others. It's such a gift to ask people, what is life really like for you? And to make time for that because that really makes a difference. We reminded people that embracing gross could really be fun and beneficial because it's how you get rid of stupid stuff. And to put that on your agendas on a regular basis could really do some beneficial things within organizations. So for these and so many more reasons, I want to thank you, Eileen, for joining me on my quest for the best. 
Thank you. It's been my joy. Well, Eileen, before we say goodbye for now, where could we go to find out more about you and your work online? If they can spell my name, they can find me. Eileen is the Irish spelling, E-I-L-E-E-N, and MacDar is M-C-D-A-R-G-H-W-W. You'll find me on my website. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. And of course, my books are all on Amazon as well as on the website. I'm easy to find. Well, Eileen, we're going to link to your EileenMcDorrell.com website. And we're also going to link to your social media and your books on Amazon to make it easy for people to find you. Once again, Eileen McDorrell, author of Breakout, author of Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. Thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.